Here we are, Wednesday morning chapel. We've got a phenomenal guest speaker. That is a real core part of what Spiritual Emphasis Week is. You invite someone who you know is going to make an impact in your community. And so I've asked my good friend, Brian Bigger, to be here. Uh, He lives in the Denver area. He and I have known each other for years. Uh, We went to the same school to receive our master's degree, so we go way back. Uh, And he is a pastor. He is a church planter. Currently, he is working as the executive director of an organization called Child Evangelism Fellowship for the Colorado chapter of that. So he's doing nonprofit work right now, and he's looking at planting a church. Um, And as I thought about what I wanted this week to be, uh, I thought about Brian. I am excited about what God is already doing, what he's going to do. And with that, can we welcome Brian to the stage? Sterling, what's up, everybody? I'm going to pretend that you guys are not here for the two credits and that you actually wanted to hang out and get to know each other a little bit. You know, guys, I I love Paul. We go way back. Um, If you want any blackmail, embarrassing stories about him, I'd be happy to share those with you sometime during this week if you want anything to hold against him. But honestly, I I love this guy. And for some of you freshmen, especially if you haven't gotten a chance to connect with Paul or Stephanie, man, please take that opportunity. I mean, they can really make a huge, huge impact. But since we're in such a small group here, just us, it's just us, right? I feel like this is my chance to share a little beef I have with you, Paul. All right. I feel like we should all just talk about this for a minute. Now, again, we went to school a little while ago. This guy, though, somehow still has all his hair. He grows hair like a chia pet. All right, I'm aging like milk. He's aging like wine. It's not fair, all right? Um, but we'll t- that's a whole other message. We're not even going to talk about that today. I'm not bitter about it. Um, it doesn't bother me. But here's the thing, guys. I'm from Colorado. I got any Colorado reps in the house? Let's go. Okay. I see you. I see you guys now. Here's the thing you got to know about Colorado. If you don't know anything about Colorado, the weather's just weird in Colorado. One day it's beautifully sunny. The next day you have hail the size of softballs destroying all of your cars and your homes. It snows in May. It snows in September. It's even snowed in June. It's just a weird state to live. I'm going to be honest with you about that. Now, here's the thing though. I'm not originally from Colorado. I grew up in Illinois. Any Illinois? Anybody? Okay. Three of you guys. I'm really glad you're here. Now, I grew up in Illinois. The one thing Colorado doesn't have to deal with, though, is tornadoes. We don't have to deal with the tornado game, but Illinois, that was a real deal. I grew up in this little town called Plainfield, Illinois, outside of Chicago, and when I was a kid, an F5 tornado, one of the biggest that have ever happened in the history of America, came through our town and completely devastated the town of Plainfield, Illinois, just destroyed the place. And here's the thing, it was absolutely devastating, tons of damage, a lot of people lost their lives. I mean, it was crazy. And here's the thing about storms, though. I mean, like I said, one day, it's totally fine, the next moment, your entire town is getting destroyed. But you're saying, I actually think some of the worst storms that we experience are not just forces of nature. I think some of the worst storms you go through are just the situations and circumstances of life. I'm telling you guys, you live long enough, you are going to have a storm come through your life that can completely level you. And I want to talk about one of two storms that we know of that Jesus experienced and that we have an account of. And here's the thing, this isn't even so much about rain or wind. This is actually a glimpse into, I think, the character and nature of God when it comes to the storms we face. So if you guys want to step in with me, I'm going to be in Matthew 14. You can follow along, you can hang out. Just please don't sleep. It'll hurt my feelings, okay? We're just going to be a couple minutes. But here's the thing, we're going to jump to the story. Jesus has just fed thousands of people. He performed this massive miracle. His name's starting to spread. People are getting all excited to talk about this guy, Jesus. He's shutting down the party, and he's starting to send people home. And we're going to pick up the story right here in Matthew 14, verse 22. Here's what it says. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, 
the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Let me just give you a little bit of context. We're hanging out on the Sea of Galilee. These guys are traveling at night in the water. This would not be super uncommon for a storm to come through. These guys are fishermen. They're experienced. But this is a serious enough storm where these guys are really starting to worry. I mean, this is a threatening situation. And maybe you might have noticed to emphasize a little bit. It said Jesus insisted that they get in the water and cross. Actually, some translations say this. Jesus made them. Now, I got a question for you guys today. What if God knows a storm is in the forecast and sends you directly into it? What if your obedience doesn't prevent storms in your life, but actually brings you right into them? What if a storm in your life is not a sign of God's anger, wrath, or judgment, but actually confirmation that you're right in the middle of his will? This is a hard thing for our brains to process in America. Because we love comfort, right? 72 degrees, comfortable. You know, you can adjust the thermostat, keep things comfortable. Why bring more pain and suffering in your life than you need to, right? And yet, we sometimes think, can we just be honest? We think, okay, if I'm faithful and good to God, he's going to hook me up, right? He's going to make my life a little better, a little easier. He's going he's to bless me. Of course, he's going to maybe give me more money too. You know, he's going to make my life good. And yet, even though we expect God to protect us from pain, difficulty, hardship, even as Christians... I think we admit when hardship starts to come, we really start to question God. You start to think, well, did I do something wrong? Is God mad at me? Has he left me? What what did I miss here? And actually, it was three years ago, my wife and I were uh, living in Indiana, which, by the way, is pretty similar to Kansas, okay? I'm just, just making that side comment, okay? And we're hanging out in Indiana, and we actually went through this process where we actually felt we had some opportunities open. We actually felt like we were supposed to go to Colorado. We really felt like it was something God wanted us to do. Now, here's the thing. Everybody who says they feel like God is calling them to Colorado, everybody rolls their eyes at that. Because like, oh yeah, I'm sure God called you to Colorado, Brian. You saw the mountains. You knew you could go skiing on the weekends. Everybody's called to Colorado. Now, let me be honest with you. Here's the thing. I'd never been to Colorado before. I didn't know anybody there. It was further away from my family. And honestly, if you guys don't know anything about Colorado, the Californians in the room can appreciate this. This is the housing situation in Colorado right now. Can you please throw that slide up right now? That is what you're dealing with, okay? For those of you guys who graduate and move to more expensive states, just get ready for that if you want to live in Colorado, right? That's what you're going to be able to afford. So I wasn't that excited about going to Colorado, but we really felt like, okay, we got to do this. So we took a step of faith. Well, in this process, my wife got pregnant with our second child, and we had this really normal pregnancy. Honestly, it was nice. It was smooth. Delivery was easy. And in February 2019, we welcomed my precious daughter into the world, little Brinley Bigger, just precious little girl. And there's something about a daughter, guys. I, tell you, I have a son to love him, but they're, oh man, daughters. They, they get you guys, all right? Every guy needs a daughter. Um, we welcomed Brinley into the world. Beautiful first day, just so excited, getting ready to go home. The next day, we get up, and we're getting ready to discharge from the hospital. And the doctor comes in the room. And he sits Nicole and I down. You could just tell the tone was changing. And he said, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but um, Brinley has blood clots in her brain. And we can't know the seriousness of it, but your daughter likely will go blind. She's probably going to have severe mental handicap, and she may even go paralyzed. And the problem with your daughter's situation is it's going to get worse as she ages. And we can't even know how bad it'll get. She's probably going to start having seizures. That's how you'll know. 
And just any day now, you just got to keep an eye on her, and we're going to try and manage this process. I'm going to tell you guys right now, one moment in your life, it can be perfectly clear skies and smooth waters. And literally, the very next moment, you are hanging on for dear life, trying not to drown. And I can guarantee, in this room, if we were to go around and share the mic, some of you guys in this very room have had some massive storms come through your lives. Some of you guys might even be in one right now. And yet the story picks up right here, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Interesting detail. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, these subtle details are important. It says shortly before dawn. Jesus put this guy, these guys in the boat before it was even nighttime. They've been flailing around in the water for seven or eight hours. Now, I'm wondering, if you, have you guys heard the experience where you just feel like God likes to take his time sometimes? Like, he never seems like he's in a rush to show up and help out when the problems start coming up. I mean, I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, if you can walk on water, surely you can show up a couple hours earlier, right? I mean, come on, do me a solid here, right? You're going to make me wait seven or eight hours? I have never in my life had an experience where I felt like God was like, you know what I'm going to do for Brian? I'm going to show up early, 15 minutes early. I'm going to hook this guy. I'm not going to make him wait. I never feel like God has ever shown up early in my entire life. And what's actually a funny little detail, the spot where Jesus was, Mark is another writer in the New Testament. He points out the fact that this whole time Jesus could see them. He literally knew exactly what was going on this whole time and he never even stepped in. Just leave it to Jesus, right? But I got a question for you guys. How good are you at waiting on God? How would you grade yourself in your God waiting skills? You know, I found this to be true in my life. Time is one of God's primary tools for our transformation. Every single second of a storm is custom designed by God for our development. And I think as much as all of us hate to wait, God takes time like a scalpel in his hand to do surgery on our souls so we can learn things like patience and perseverance and trust in him. And so Jesus is using some time on these guys, but he shows up and it says they are terrified. Now, here's what I think is so ironic about this moment. They are literally staring at the solution to their problem, and they're freaking out about it. I mean, literally, the solution is right in front of them, and they don't even recognize it, and they see it as a threat. And I'm wondering how many times God shows up in your life, and you don't even see it happening. Some of you guys, God has shown up, and you think it's a problem when he starts poking around in your life. And I'm just thinking, this is just my case too. My preference in this situation would have been, hey, Jesus, how about you just show up earlier and stop the storm? Actually, how about we just don't even go into the storm at all? That would have been great if that was how this thing worked out. And yet God's like, no, you know what I'm going to do? First, I'm going to send you into the storm. I'm going to wait about eight hours, all right? I'm just going to hang out and not show up. And then when I do show up, I'm going to walk on water and defy the laws of buoyancy because I think that'd be fun. I'm God. And then when I do show up, you're going to be freaked out and think I'm a ghost. That's how I'm going to do this. And here's the thing, guys. God... He is almost never going to show up the way you expected. He's not even going to show up the way you would prefer. He's going to show up the way he's going to show up. And it's going to be for a specific purpose in your life. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't stop the storm. He just starts talking. And I actually think in this moment, Jesus is more concerned 
about stopping the storm going on inside of them than around them. There is a much more important storm that he is concerned about. And it's interesting because Jesus says, it is I. Actually, the, the literal thing he's saying right there is, I am. The disciples would have recognized that immediately. That was a declaration of deity. That was a name for God. Jesus, in this moment, is saying, I have the power of the universe at my fingertips. I am everything you need in this moment. I am your safety. I am your protection. You guys got to understand, who is with you in a storm makes all of the difference. It makes all the difference. This doctor comes in the room and lets us know Brindley's situation. I'll be honest with you guys, it ruined the newborn experience. Completely ruined it. We couldn't even enjoy a moment of our daughter's new life and birth. And my wife, we didn't even know what to do. My wife reaches out to the big children's hospital in Denver. She's just like, we don't know how to get started. We don't know what to do. I still have these emails, so I know the time. 28 minutes after my wife sends this email out to this hospital, we get a response from this doctor. And he says, I'd love to get you guys in. I got an opening next week. Let's get this thing started. We'll start a conversation. I don't know this guy. So we're like, all right, let's just show up. Well, next week we have this appointment with this doctor, and we're in the room with him and his nurse. And he's like a nice guy, you know, kind of nerdy, you know, the doctor type. But he, he leaves the room. And the nurse is like, man, you guys are so lucky. Do you, do you know who this guy is? I'm just like, I don't know. She's like, he is the number one doctor on planet Earth for your daughter's condition. He invented the treatments that she needs. He's this Harvard guy. People fly in from all over the country and the world to have him treat their kids. And he made an opening in his schedule for your daughter and wants her to get started on treatments with him. Now, let me tell you guys this right now. Our storm didn't stop. It was just beginning. But my wife and I started to see God show up in the middle of our storm. God knew what was coming ahead of us before we had any idea. And he started to just show us his presence and his provision. And he started working on that storm going on inside of my wife and I. And for some of you guys in this room, whether you're in a storm, and even if you're not right now, you will. Just give it time. I don't know how else to tell you this. There is one in the forecast at some point. Jesus does not always promise to stop the storm in your life. But he guarantees his presence. And that is enough to bring all of the peace and safety you actually really need in any situation you face. And it'd be nice if the story just stopped there, right? We could tie this up with a little bow and close and pray, but things just always got to get a little bit more interesting when Jesus is involved. So Peter, one of Jesus' followers, guy's always shoving his foot in his mouth. He's kind of like, he's kind of a dummy sometimes. Well, this is about to get interesting. Verse 28, this is Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Because that's exactly what I would be thinking in the middle of a storm, right? With a guy walking on water. And look at Jesus. Come, he said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Okay, here's the thing. First off, they're freaked out that Jesus is a ghost. And now Peter, he's not even certain that this is actually Jesus. He just said, hey, if it's you, he's not even certain himself. But this is what's so weird. Peter's like, you know, if it's you, tell me to come out there. And I can't even figure out the logic in Peter's brain right now. It doesn't make any sense to me. But something inside of me just must believe that Peter knew, okay, if that really is God out there, if that is the Jesus I'm coming to know, I know he's going to call me into something supernatural. I know whatever happens, this is going to work out in some way. And for Peter, if was enough to move on. 
He didn't have absolute certainty. He didn't know for sure. All he had was an if. And for him, that was enough to take a step. And so Jesus says, come. Now, can we just take a moment and recognize this? Jesus just told Peter to do something that is literally physically impossible. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but people don't typically walk on water. That's not something that usually happens. And Jesus is telling Peter to do something that he can not do. Now, he's saying, if I'm Jesus, which be glad I'm not. The first thing I'm saying to Peter is, what, dude, no, 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 no. You stay in the boat. I'm the water walker. I'm God. You're not. You don't do any of this nonsense. This is my job. Or at least hand him a manual on water walking or tell him to lose a couple pounds so he doesn't sink as fast. I mean, there's a lot of things you could be saying. And yet... Jesus says, come. And Peter doesn't ask how. He doesn't get any details. And so many times, guys, when God really calls you into something, God doesn't give details, but he does give direction. That is a critical thing to understand. Jesus just says one word. I'm just wondering if any of you guys have really had a moment where you felt like God was calling you to do something that actually even felt impossible. Because I've had these moments in my life where I just really felt strongly that God was calling me into something. I'll tell you, all the thoughts start swirling in my mind. I'm like, well, what if this doesn't work? What if I fail? What if this ruins my life? What if this goes horribly wrong? What if it's not even God? And all my brain starts freaking out. And yet, I think the question we really got to ask when you have these moments, I think you should really ask, what if it is God? What if it is actually God? What if God is calling you into the greatest opportunity of your entire life? What if he actually has a good plan for you and wants you to step into it? What if the best thing that ever happened to you is on the other side of the boat? What if it's God? Peter didn't have details. He had direction, though. And some of you guys, college is such a critical season. I got the absolute critical direction for my life in college. Some of you guys, God is going to give you direction over the next couple of years but he's not going to give you any details. You're just going to feel him say, go. Move to that country. Take that job. Change your major. Marry him. (laughs) The girl's like, yes, amen, in Jesus' name. (laughs) But you're going to get some direction, and you're going to have to decide if you're going to take that step or not. And Peter takes the step. Now, here's the thing. Can you imagine what it must have been like walking on water? There is no way. I, I feel so sorry. There is no way Peter was just doing this across the water. You can't tell me that's how he was walking on the water. I can guarantee you he was like doing one of these, looking like an absolute fool because every single step you're just wondering, am I going to go to the bottom of the water or am I going to float? I mean, which thing is going to happen? I'll tell you guys right now. The faith walk is a funny walk. Nobody looks cool walking by faith. Because every single time you're wondering, am I going to drown on this next step or is God going to come through? You are never going to feel cool walking by faith. It is a crazy, awkward, weird walk. And I'll tell you guys right now, every single day after our daughter was born, it was a faith walk. It was awkward and scary and weird. And every single day we'd be meeting a neurologist, ophthalmologist, dermatologist. I met more ologists than I even knew existed. There's a lot of them. I think I've met them all. And every single day, we didn't know what was going to be next. We're like, is this the day we found out our daughter's going to go blind? Is this the day we found out she's starting to become paralyzed? Is this the day we find out she's not going to have any 
mental functioning at all. Every single step felt like this terrifying step of faith, wondering if we were just going to sink or walk on water. And yet, the story continues. Verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, this is talking about Peter, he was terrified and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, here's the thing. I'm kind of mad at Jesus right now, to be honest, which means I'm wrong, but still, I'm mad at Jesus. You're going to get on Peter about having little faith? You're going to get on the dude who just walked on water? You're going to nag him about his life? faith? Why don't you get on the guys who are in the boat still? You should be like, yeah, guys, you should be more like Peter. At least he took a couple steps. He's getting on Peter. I had to really look into this because I'm like, come on, Jesus. I've never walked on water. What does that say about me? And yet, here's the thing. This is really important. I had to really look into this. Jesus is not criticizing Peter for the amount of faith he was exercising. Because even you read the Bible, it says you got faith as small as mustard, you can move mountains. It's not the amount that Jesus was getting on him out. It was actually the fact that his faith was not sustained. He didn't sustain his faith in Jesus, however small or large it was. And he took his eyes off Jesus and he started to sink. And here's the thing, though, that is so encouraging to me. Because I think all of us, when you're really trying to follow God and step out in his direction, you have fits and you have starts and you have awkward moments. You have moments where you start sinking. Like, it is a hard thing to keep that faith thing consistent. And yet Jesus reaches down and grabs him. But these moments, guys, these are those moments where, honestly, you really start to ask, man, is this thing really worth it? Like, this following God thing, I don't know if I really want to do this anymore. Like, I feel like I'm drowning. I'm getting all wet. This is awkward. This is hard. And yet, hear me today. you got to hear me today. It is safer on the water than in the boat. you got to hear that day. It is safer on the water than the boat. Peter was closest to Jesus out in the middle of the water. And Jesus is closest to you when you're closest to sinking. You are more safe out there walking out in the middle of the lake than you are sitting in the boat. Because Jesus' hand is right there the whole time. And all Peter has to say is, Lord, save me. Now he's saying, I've been to seminary. Paul and I did the whole seminary thing. I could do the Greek and the Hebrew and all that. But here's the thing. You know what I love about this? It's three words. It is a simple prayer. Nothing fancy. Nothing cute. He's not like, Lord, I beseech you. Anoint your hand and bring it up and pull me out of this water. He's like, no, God, help. I am drowning. Okay, let's fix this problem right now, please. (laughs) You don't even got to get fancy. I love that, though. This is just the picture of the Christian faith, I think. All of us, we're all drowning on some level. We're flailing around. We don't know what we're doing. Don't act like you've got a great plan for your life. God's going to blow it up. Don't worry. Just wait. And then he pulls you out of the water, though. It is just the grace and goodness of God. And you got to just get this in your heart today. Jesus, he may let you struggle, but he will not let you sink. He will always pull you out. He won't let you go down. You can call on him at any moment. And sometimes the only thing you can do is literally just say, God, help. And that is the perfect prayer that you can pray in that moment. And actually, I've thought about this a lot. Sometimes I think faith isn't even so much about walking on water as it is just trusting that Jesus will catch you when you start sinking. I think that is just as much of a faith exercise. And we're going to tie up the story right here. When they climbed into the boat, the wind stopped. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And when they say that, they're saying, you are God. 
we really believe you are so much more than just a man. And this is so fascinating to me. They just went through this horrible, stressful, difficult situation. They're fighting for their lives for hours. They're exhausted. They've been awake all night. They had the terror of almost drowning. They thought they saw a ghost. I mean, this was a pretty, this is an eventful night. Let's just be honest, okay? And yet they're not bitter. They're not mad at Jesus. They are worshiping him. And here's the whole point of this experience. This was never about walking on water. This was never even just about a storm. This was about worship. That was the whole point of this experience. The storm was necessary for them to see Jesus clearly and experience him on a new level. They actually needed the storm. It had to happen to get them to a new level of faith. I think about our daughter's journey. You know, these doctors sit down, they say, hey, she's likely going to start having seizures. You just got to start looking for those. We started this treatment process. And they told us, if we can get your daughter to one year of life without having any seizures, that's actually a pretty good sign. That might mean it's a little bit less extreme, and we might be able to manage it a little bit. They said, if we can get your daughter to two years of life with no seizures, we actually might have a miracle. I'm here actually to tell you guys today that a few months ago, my daughter turned two years old, and she has not had a single seizure. She has not had a single symptom. She's a happy little girl right there. She, uh, she's riding a bike without training wheels, two years old. Come on, somebody. Don't tell me paralyzed nothing. Let me tell you guys this. This has been the most exhausting, scary, stressful season I have ever experienced in my life. It is the worst storm I have ever had to navigate for two years, wondering what was going to happen to our daughter. And going through this whole treatment process and getting to that two-year mark when she turned two and she had no seizures, I'm just telling you guys, it has been a storm. And sometimes we felt like we were walking on water. Sometimes we felt like we were drowning. It was just this crazy experience. But through all of this, guys, I can tell you, I would never want to relive it again. I would have loved to have avoided it. But there was something Nicole, my wife, and I experienced in this season that I don't think we could have experienced anywhere else. We learned how to worship and trust and walk with God in ways I don't know if we could have ever learned another way. And you just have to trust that if God sends a storm into your life, there truly is a purpose, that he really is doing something. And I know some of you guys, you might be hearing this, you're like, well, Brian, I'm so glad it worked out for you. Yay, golf clap. You know, I'm glad things are working out. But you're like, I'm, I'm in a storm right now, Brian. I got a storm at home waiting for me. I got things going on in my life. I feel like I'm sinking. And can I be the first to admit to you guys, not all stories end with everybody getting back in the boat. There are real tragedies. There are real situations that can completely devastate your life. There are things that happen in people's lives where they are just picking up the pieces for years to come. But you got to hear me today as we close. 2,000 years ago, Jesus faced the ultimate storm. You know, all of us in here, we got a real serious problem. We got a sin problem that we can't solve. We are flailing around in the waters of life trying to solve our own problems, save ourselves, find our own sense of purpose and pleasure and happiness apart from God. And Jesus, out of his grace, came to this earth and lived that perfect life that we could not live. He reached down into the waters that we were flailing around and pulled us out. And Jesus was thrust into the depths of our sin. And he was drowned in them, but he came out of those waters, defeating sin, defeating death. And now he is holding his hand out to anybody who will call on him to pull them into eternal life, hope, real joy, and a true purpose in this world, guys. And you got to hear me, whatever storm you may face, there is a promise you have that one day God is going to clear all of the skies 
and he's going to bring smooth waters into eternity. There will be no more storms, no more suffering, no more pain, but until that moment comes, God is calling every single one of us to walk on water. God, I pray for every person in this room right now. Whatever you may be calling them to, Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray you'd give them the courage to step out. I pray they'd see the amazing things in their lives as they walk on water by your power and favor, God. And for anybody facing the storm right now, Lord, I just pray that you would give them encouragement to know that you are with them in the storm. And that is truly all they need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.